Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Tonight we're continuing on with our theme in 166. I'm not going to do a massive recap on the Sermon on the Mount because that would take a long time. So I'm just going to kick right in tonight by talking on the Lord's Prayer. If you get Phil's email on a Friday and he give a little bio about me, I feel like no pressure here when it comes to talking on prayer. And I really am no expert. I get to be part of the 24-7 prayer movement. But just like everybody else, I'm on a constant journey of just believing that God hears our prayers and moves into response in them. So tonight we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. I would say the most famous prayer on the planet. A prayer that millions of Christians pray regularly and a prayer that millions of non-Christians have heard enough to repeat. I'm sure if we asked most people, most people could recite the Lord's Prayer to us. It is even estimated that two billion people, so two billion, will pray or sing the Lord's Prayer on Easter Sunday. So this very day next week, two billion people all around the world will pray or sing the Lord's Prayer. That is over one third of the world's population. Now you'll be glad to know we're not going to sing it tonight, so don't be panicking. We're just a, we might say it, but um, two billion people next Sunday will say or sing the Lord's Prayer. I think this is why Richard Foster says this. The Lord's Prayer is lifted up to God in every conceivable setting. It rises from the altars of the great cathedrals and from obscure shanties in unknown places. It is spoken both by children and kings. It is prayed at weddings and deathbeds alike. The rich, the poor, the intelligent and the illiterate, the simple and the wise all speak forth this prayer. It is such a complete prayer that it seems to reach all peoples at all times in all places. And my prayer tonight is that it reaches us again. That our over-familiarity with these words would not rob us of the power of this prayer. That it would reach our hearts again tonight. That it would stir in us a passion for prayer. The prayer itself is just about 57 words in total, depending on what translation you use. And if you prayed it meditatively, it would probably only take you about 20-ish short of seconds. Or if you were me, probably about 10 But it's a really, really short prayer. In five short sentences, Jesus taught us to pray. The Lord's Prayer can be found in two versions in the New Testament, one in Matthew and one in Luke. And tonight we'll be mainly focusing on the Matthew version. The Lord's Prayer has shaped the lives of of Jesus' followers ever since he taught it to the disciples. It is rooted in Jesus' relationship to the Father. The prayer encompasses the whole life And it's inviting us to pray for God's presence and power to change us and to change the world. For those familiar with the Lord's Prayer, we can so easily rush through it and rush through the words without really grasping what they mean. We say it like a nursery rhyme. We let it roll off our tongues. But it's so easy to rush through and not really grasp what each word really means. And I think in teaching us this prayer, Jesus was not just telling us to repeat it though there is value in the repetition of the Lord's Prayer, but I think he was teaching us to use it as a framework, more like a scaffolding than the whole building. He was teaching us a scaffolding more than a whole building, scaffolding that allows us to build a strong foundation and grow up in our prayer lives. 
So although there is power in the repetition of the Lord's Prayer, I think it was more of a, a scaffold and more of a framework. We were to use it as a springboard that would launch us into lots more prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer covers lots of bases, and so it was more of a springboard to see prayer increase in our lives. Timothy Jones says this. To cultivate a deeper prayer life, all you have to do is say the Lord's Prayer, but take an hour to do it. Take each word, take each line. What was Jesus trying to teach us here in it? And as we linger in the words of the Lord's Prayer, we can see that we can use it firstly as a model. The Lord's Prayer serves as the ultimate prototype. It is a model and an inspiration for all prayer, yet it draws its back to itself. It teaches us what to pray. But we can also use the Lord's Prayer as a map. The Lord's Prayer guides us as we express the things on our hearts. Each line can be applied and expanded in personal conversation with the Father. It teaches us how to pray. It's a model that teaches us what to pray and a map that teaches us how to pray. Because here's the thing, there are life-changing glories to be seen in these most familiar words if we slow down enough to see them. Life-changing glories to be seen in these most familiar words if we slow down enough to say them. And so before we continue tonight, let's just say the Lord's Prayer together. We'll do the one on the screen because I know there's many variations of, of words and all of that, but let's just say the Lord's Prayer together tonight as we begin. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This prayer is the absolute backbone for everything a Christian ever prays and everything a Christian ever does. The context for the teaching of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew falls in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been journeying through since January. And we've just moved from chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount into chapter, into chapter 6. Chapter 5 focuses on the law and what it means for us to keep it or to not break it. And we've looked at things like the Beatitudes, lust, retaliation, divorce, and, and much more. Chapter 6 focuses on three things the Jews saw and still see as standard obligations. Giving money, praying, and fasting. But in both chapters, both in chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Matthew, it is all talking about our inner life. Both chapters is about what happens in our inner life, our motives in all that we do. Because if we do any of these duties, if any of these duties are done for show, if we give money, if we pray, if we fast, even all the things we learned in the Beatitudes and we learned around lust, retaliation and divorce, because of these, if we do any of these duties out of show, they're rotten at the core. If we do them just for the show, just so people can see us giving money, just so people can see us pray, just so we, people can see us fast, they're just rotten at the core. And God doesn't say that these outward things don't matter, but what matters is how we do them. We are to do them simply to and for God himself. 
Because God can easily be squeezed out of religion and our religious duties if we're not careful. We can do all these things and actually realize that we forgot the very reason why we're doing them. We can squeeze God out of them so easy. He wants our outward appearance to match our inner reality. He wants our outward appearance to match our inner reality. We see this right through the Sermon on Mount, isn't it? About our thoughts and our actions and our conduct. And now he's telling it and how we give money and how we pray and how we fast. It's all about how our outward appearance needs to match our inner reality. And I think that's why he preludes the Lord's Prayer with this passage. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. To sum it up in Northern Ireland speak, I think Jesus is saying, don't make a big song and dance out of it. Don't, don't make a scene. Don't make a big song and dance out of this. Jesus is contrasting with the sort of prayer that's happening in the pagan world at this time. You see, they were just heaping up all of these phrases, all of these buzzwords, all of this magic word type stuff, you know, abracadabra type thing, just trying to get the right method to get the answer they required, going over and over the same things in a real mechanical sort of way. And they were marked with uncertainty and anxiety, trying to persuade whatever deity that they were calling upon to listen to them. This is what was going on in the pagan world at that time. As Jesus said, they were just babbling, just babbling on and on and on. And out of this, he gives us two warnings so that our prayer lives are not like that. And the first one is this, don't do it to be seen. It's not, it's not about trying to impress others. God is saying it's about praying in private. Why? Because in private, it is who you really are isn't it? When you're in private, it's who you really are. There's no need to be a show-off. There's no need to be anyone else than who you truly, truly are. And that's why God has called us to the private place of prayer. Be who you really are before me. Be yourself. The point is one-on-one on one with God. And Jesus modeled this, didn't he, in his own life. But Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. We could all follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Yes, there is power in gathering for corporate prayer, but there needs to be times in our lives where we withdrew, where we withdraw to the lonely place where it's just us and God laying burr before him. No need to role play, no need to be someone we're not just being before our Father in heaven. And so the first warning was don't do it to be seen. It's the point is one-on-one -on -one with God. And the second one is this, you don't need many words. What he's saying is there isn't a magic formula. He isn't saying if you just say the right words in the right order, enough times God might answer. He's also saying this, God doesn't speak holy or Christianese. God is holy, but he doesn't speak holy. And he doesn't have a Christian language that we need to learn in order, in order, in order to grab his attention. Sometimes I think we, we need to get our these and our thous in the right place before we can hear, or God will hear our prayers, before we can catch the ear of heaven. God's like, no, I am holy, but I don't speak holy. I don't have a language that you need for me to listen to you. 
It's not about having the right words in the right order. See, prayer is this. Prayer is laying hold of God's willingness and not his reluctance. And that changes how we pray. We're not coming to the place of prayer trying to twist God's arm up his back and be like, God, this would be a really good idea. Or trying to convince God just to bless our plans or to rubber stamp our plans. We're laying hold of God's willingness. God is a good father who's got good plans for your life. It is his joy to bless you. It's his joy to bring good things to you. And so when we realize that prayer is laying hold of God's willingness and not his reluctance, we don't need to be like the babbling pagans. We don't need to keep going on and on and on and on and on, just thinking one time and we'll just get the, that'll be the time that he listens. God is so willing towards his kids. And understandably, some people might worry that the mechanical reciting of the Lord's prayer itself might turn into the vain repetition that Jesus explicitly warns us about. I'm sure we've all stood in a, maybe in a more traditional church service or in a school assembly and we've just went through the motions of saying the Lord's Prayer. But I do think to go against that vain repetition, it is important that we don't say the Lord's Prayer mindlessly. But rather we use the powerful prayer to shape our lives. But I love that Jesus doesn't just tell us what not to do. It's not like he's just saying, just don't pray this way. Every teacher knows there's power, the power of an example. And Jesus knows that better than anyone else. That's why he spoke in parables and told stories. Jesus was the ultimate teacher. He knew the power of example. So he wasn't just saying, don't do this, don't do this. He said, let me show you. And then this is what he said. Then, this then is how you should pray. Oh, could you imagine the, the, what that was like to the disciples' ears? Now we're going to get to the juicy stuff. Now we're really going to get it. This then is how you should pray. And I think when Jesus said, this then is how you should pray, he was telling us to use it more of a guide than a destination. This prayer was not the end in itself. It was just a guide to lead us on the ultimate journey of conversation and relationship with Jesus. And the opening line of this prayer are these words. Our Father in heaven. Everything is set in calling God Father. It is key to this whole prayer and to all prayer. Our Father is the key to this prayer, but to all prayer. Father is used countless times right throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount. You see, it's all about relationship, not a technique. Jesus wasn't teaching a technique through the Sermon on the Mount. He was calling people to a relationship. That's why he uses the word Father countless times through the whole Sermon on the Mount. But here's the thing. We need to make sure Father is not just another name we give to God, adding to the long list of other Bible names that he has. Sometimes I think we think Jehovah, you know, and we think Yahweh, we think Father. It's just another name in the Bible that we give God. Father in folks' relationship, it's more than just a description. Fathers is not another name in the long list of, of, of names that we give God. Father and folks' relationship. It's more than just description. Father is who God is to us. We are his sons. We are his daughters. You see, it's always been about relationship. The heart of the Father has always been about encounter. And we access this through prayer. Prayer is relational and not transactional. That's why God invites us to start the prayer this way. It is, the it is important at the beginning of any prayer to remember that we're coming to a loving, perfect Father who wants good things for us. 
And sometimes it's difficult to refer to God as Father because our own fathers may be unknown to us or they might have been absent or even abusive. But despite what may have been good and what may have been bad in our earthly parents, God is the perfect parent. God is consistently good and kind to us. And so we need to grasp that God is consistently good and kind to us. And this is the sort of father that we're coming for in the place of her. But I think another key reason why we're asked to begin by focusing on God as our father is because of this. While it costs us nothing to be recipients of the Father's great love, these words represent our desire to be imitators of Jesus in the relationship he had with the Father. In the times of Jesus, children would watch their fathers carry out their work and would learn their trade alongside them. Jesus became a carpenter by watching Joseph and helping him in his work. So when Jesus addressed God as Father, he's not just using a term of intimacy, He's claiming to be working along his, alongside his father in his great work of building the kingdom. We are saying we not only want to share that intimacy that Jesus had with the father, but we also want to be considered apprentices in his kingdom work. And to be apprentices in his work, we need to take the road that Jesus took, that of ultimate humility and servitude. And so, yes, we're saying our father because we want the father-son, father-daughter intimacy, but we're all saying, yes, you're our father because we want to apprentice you and you're saying your kingdom come. Bill Johnson says this, the title, our father is a title of honor and a call to relationship. What he did to make it possible for us to call him father is all one needs to begin to become a true worshiper. Our father is a title of honor and a call to relationship. What he did to make it possible for us to call him father is all one needs to begin to become a true worshiper. When we grasp this father-son, father-daughter intimacy, we can't help but respond in praise. I think this is why the next line of the prayer is a declaration of praise. Hallowed be your name. To hallow God's name means to love honor him, value him, treasure him above all else. We call this prayers of adoration. And adoration is a lifting up of heart and mind, asking for nothing but to enjoy God's presence. That's from the common book of prayer. Adoration is lifting up the heart and mind to God, asking for nothing but to enjoy God's presence. It's more about being than doing. And it's this type of prayer that cuts through our shopping list prayer lives. It's just not about getting, but giving. Giving him our love, our affection, and our adoration by just being with him. And as we pour ourselves out in adoration, we remind ourselves, God is God. God is God. Pete Gregg uses the analogy that in this type of prayer of adoration, we swap the microscope for the telescope. When we use a, tele, a microscope, we're looking at the micro and the small. And sometimes we look at our lives like that. And we can't get our eyes off just the little things going on in our own lives. And we get caught up in the minutia of just each and every day. But when we look through a telescope, we get caught up in the macro and the majesty and just the glory of God. From being focused on the small, we look at it in light of the bigger picture. We worship Jesus and we place him on the throne. Our perspective changes. 
As we ponder the stars in the universe, we stand in awe of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so when we swap the microscope for the telescope, when we come to the place of adoration and give God all the glory that is due to his name, our perspective changes. When we start here, our own requests and our own agendas are put into proper perspective. Who's ever looked up at the stars and just think, God, I'm really small and you're really big and that's the way it should be. When we start here in the place of adoration, our own requests and our agendas are put into proper perspective. Have you ever come away from prayer still feeling weary and burdened? You ever went to the place of prayer and thought, I'm going to give this all to Jesus, but you still come away feeling weary and burdened. But when we follow the order that Jesus gave us, and when we start by declaring God as our Father and we go to the place of adoration, and we follow this order, our needs don't feel as weighty because we know that he reigns above it all. This is the thing, we get to enjoy him and we, got, we get to contemplate his greatness. We get to ask for nothing but to cherish time in his presence, focus on nothing but his goodness. We give him thanksgiving and praise. We give him thanksgiving and all the glory for what he has done and we give him all the praise for who he is. And as we know God as our father and worship him, we begin to learn his heart and his will for the people and the world. So the more time we spend in the presence of God, the more time we realize him as our father, the more times we get caught up in the bigger picture of just worship and adoration to him, we get to catch his heart and learn his heart for the people and for the world, which leads us to utter these words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're praying for God's dominion, his rule and reign to be realized right here, right now, and that changes everything. We're asking for God's dominion, his rule and reign to be realized right here, right now, and that changes everything. What we are saying is if it exists in heaven, we want it to be loosed here on earth. So we're talking joy, peace, wisdom, health, wholeness, and all the other good promises we read about in the Bible should be free to operate here on this planet, in our homes, in our churches, our businesses, and our schools. And it looks like this. In somebody's body, it brings healing. In somebody's finances, it brings blessing and increase. In somebody's marriage, it brings reconciliation and peace. The emphasis in the Lord's prayer is that earth would become like heaven. It's the praying Christian that loses heaven's expression here on earth. It's the praying Christian that loses heaven's expression here on earth. We get to play our part in this. And we think of heaven coming to earth, we remind ourselves of this verse. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so when we think of heaven come to earth, we realize there is more than has ever entered our minds. More than we could even think about. More than we can even up, muster up the, the courage to pray for. There is so much more. You see, the Lord's Prayer is central to the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is a collection of sayings that describes what happens when the kingdom of God breaks in and takes hold of us. And at the center of the Lord's Prayer is the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. 
It just captures the heart and the passion of God to bring the reality of heaven on earth in our lives and all around us. To pray the Lord's Prayer is to participate in heaven's invasion of earth. To pray the Lord's Prayer is to participate in heaven's invasion of the earth. To pray the Lord's Prayer and allow this model to affect our prayer lives changes everything as heaven invades earth. What a privilege of partnering with him and fulfilling his purposes in the world. What a pleasure, what an honor that we get to, to partner with him. See, Jesus taught this prayer to train us as intercessors because we're all called to intercede. We're all intercessors. It's not a gift that's only given to a few. We're all called to stand in the gap. We're all called to intercede. And so we want to see heaven come to earth. We're hoping there's not an actual fire. We'll continue on. So what we were saying is that Jesus taught this prayer to train us as intercessors because we are all called to intercede and to bring heaven to earth. See, prayer is not an escape from what is going on around us. It is participation. Prayer is not an escape from what is going on around us. It is participation. St. Teresa said this, all the way to heaven is heaven. We just don't get heaven when we die. We get there. Heaven is all around us right now. We get to see heaven come to earth each and every day. We should get excited. All the way to heaven is heaven. We see it happen and break through in people's lives all the time. And so when you pray these words, you can change the world and see heaven come down. At this point in the Lord's Prayer, it takes a small shift. The Lord's Prayer is neatly divided into two parts, you see. The first one is the you petitions that we've just looked at. Your name, your kingdom, your will. But now we move into the us petitions. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us. And as we move into this section, we must remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 8. Just before he begins teaching the Lord's Prayer, he says this. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And what we see here is Jesus divided the Lord's Prayer into two things. is absolutely beautiful. What Jesus is doing here is absolutely stunning. He, is, he frees us from needing everything figured out before we pray because he knows I love this quote. Thank God that our prayers do not depend on our expressing the correct desires. That it does not depend on our making a correct diagnosis of our needs and troubles and then presenting them to God with a properly phrased and clearly outlined prayer proposition. The Father knows our needs beyond our expressed needs. And he knows our needs contrary to even those expressed needs. He just knows what his children need. And so he knows our needs even if we don't express them. And when we do express them, he knows what we need even beyond those and contrary to those. Here we just see the absolute grace of God. God knows that we will need bread. He knows that we will need forgiveness. He knows that we will need reconciliation. He knows that we will need guidance. He knows that we will need protection. Right through this prayer, we see the grace of God. He knows that we also need to see his name been hallowed and his kingdom come and his will be done in our lives. And it ultimately declares our greatest need of all, which is for the Father himself. 
This prayer is for every moment and for every issue. It's a gift to us. It's like Jesus saying, this is the kind of prayer my father loves to hear. Tell him what you need. Jesus knew that we would need our heavenly father's waiting and longing. Or Jesus knew what we would need and our heavenly father's waiting and longing for us to use it day by day. Jesus came to earth, he lived as a human, he knew what we would need. So he gave us this model prayer and now our heavenly father is waiting and longing for us to use it day by day. God knows our needs and he still wants us to articulate them to him. And that's why he invites us to say this, give us each day our daily bread. If we're not so familiar with the Lord's prayer, we might have been astonished at the request for daily bread. If it had come from the lips of any other person than Jesus himself, you might have thought, you can't pray that. You can't pray for daily bread. But here it is, right smack in the middle of the greatest of prayers, give us our daily bread. When we think about it for a moment, though, we realize that this prayer is completely and consistently in the pattern of the way Jesus lived. For he was always interested with the everyday issues of humankind. He provided wine for those celebrating, food for those who were hungry, rest for those who were weary. And he went out of his way to find the poor, the sick, and the powerless. So it is fully in order with his character that he invites us to pray for daily bread. Try to imagine what our prayer experience would be like if he had forbidden us to ask about the little things. What if we were only allowed to talk and pray about the weighty matters and the important things and the profound issues? But he actually welcomes us with our wee thousand and one prayer requests for they're each important to him. Nothing is too big, nothing is too small, nothing is left out. We learn to trust him for our bread and for our sustenance. God's ear is attentive and he will listen to you at any time by asking, for, by asking him for your own needs. You're not being selfish. You're just confessing your dependence on him. And so by asking him for your own needs, you're not being selfish, just confessing your dependence on him. And the next thing that Jesus calls us to ask for is this. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus in this model assumes that we will need to ask for forgiveness. He knows and understands our frailties and weaknesses, and that's ultimately why he came. Forgiveness is not something that happens once. We may have to forgive others, ask for forgiveness, and forgive ourselves on a regular basis. But forgiveness is always available, but we must also be a forgiving people, not holding bitterness or hostility. When it comes to prayer, we need to ask ourselves, is there anyone I have hurt that I need to ask forgiveness from? And is there anyone who's hurt me that I need to forgive? See, giving and receiving is the kingdom standard. We receive forgiveness and we need to give forgiveness. The grace and mercy of God cancels our debts and frees us to extend mercy to, to others and even our enemies. And from this verse, then we're led to, to pray this one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, the first petitions are all prayed into our present activity. This one is for the future. This one's for the unknown. It's an acknowledgement of God, we really need your help. God, we really need your help. We're all tempted regularly by many different things. We never know when or in what form we will face temptation. 
We all are vulnerable to the schemes of the enemy, but we need to be aware of his tactics. Jesus sees our greatest need as we look to the future is guidance and protection. This is why he calls us to say this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus knows one of our greatest needs as we look to the future is guidance and protection. Jesus underlines the urgency for us to be prepared for what is coming next. It is a prayer that he's asking us that we would be as discerning as Jesus was when he faced temptation. Imagine we could be as discerning as Jesus was when he faced temptation. But also this, prayer is a way out of temptation. We need to be aware that there will always be temptation and evil. But coming to God in prayer heightens our awareness of those problems and gives us the strength to resist temptation. A daily prayer life that asks for God's assistance with temptation and his help with evil will cause us to grow stronger Christians who live increasingly free from sin. And so that's why Jesus, we see God's grace in it all, where we ask for our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We see the grace of God. He knew exactly what we would need in our lives. And he gives a model prayer that encompassed it all. And the closing words of the Lord's prayer is this. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It begins and ends with praise and thankfulness. It's always good to finish our prayer times by remembering that God is powerful, eternal and glorious and ultimately in charge. We step back and we trust God to do with our prayers whatever, however and whenever he chooses. All now is in the Father's hands, the one who, in he- who sits in heaven, the one who is on the throne. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And all I can say is, wow, what a prayer. What a prayer. And many people find prayer difficult. We get distracted and we struggle to know what to say. But I think praying the Lord's Prayer is a simple answer to these problems. It's a powerful way to structure our daily prayers, to use its themes to worship the Lord, to intercede for the world, petition him with our own needs, to ask for forgiveness and to forgive others, and to pray for self-control and protection. So if you're struggling with prayer, why not just allow the lines of the Lord's prayer to guide you, to worship the Lord, to intercede for the world, to petition him with your own needs, to ask for forgiveness and to forgive others, and to pray for self-control and protection. I hope you can see tonight that praying the Lord's prayer with our whole lives changes us and it changes the world. This is a prayer not just for church services. This is a prayer not just for school assemblies. This is a prayer for our 166 for every hour and every day. A prayer to repeat and a prayer to live by. May we never lose the awe and the wonder of this prayer. When we repeat these familiar lines, we echo the words of Christ himself. And we do it alongside billions of Christians throughout time and all over the world. And I finish with this little quote. To this day, I am still nursing myself in the Lord's prayer like a child. 
and I'm still eating and drinking of it like an old man without getting bored of it. Sorry, the rest of it's not on there. To this day, I'm still nursing myself on the Lord's Prayer like a child. And I'm still eating and drinking of it like an old man without getting bored of it. And so I pray wherever you are in your life tonight, would you be like that, where you're still nursing on the Lord's Prayer like a child, or like an old man still eating and drinking of it, never getting bored. Because this prayer has the ability to change you, and this prayer has the ability to change the world if we would just live into it. And so I'd love for us now, as the band comes, just to take a moment of reflection on that as we come to close tonight, to ask ourselves these, oh, there's the full one now, to ask ourselves these questions. What is God saying to me? What am I going to do about it? Maybe tonight God is just wanting to stir in your heart a new passion for prayer. And maybe the Lord's Prayer can serve as a bit of a, um, a template for that. Or maybe one of the lines in the Lord's Prayer even caught you. Maybe you need God just to provide for your daily bread. Maybe you need God's forgiveness or you need to forgive others. Or maybe you just want to see God's kingdom come and his power and his strength. I'd love for us right now just to take a little moment just to ponder these questions. What is God saying to me? What am I going to do about it? And then the band will lead us in a song. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk